On 2NURFM, your easy listening favourites. And this is Finance and Barry Preston. And our general statement, of course, comments made during our program are for general discussion. You must always seek your own advice and a product disclosure statement should be obtained and considered before obtaining a financial product. Staff associated with the Pritchard and Partners and BBY stockbrokers may hold or trade shares in companies mentioned on this program. Pritchard's Financial Services Licence, 246712, BBY Limited, 238095. Henry, the much-awaited talk by our Federal Chief in America, Ben Helicopter Benanke. They call him Helicopter because he drops money all over the place. He does, he does, but it does seem the uh, the dropping of money is going to be finishing um, in the not too distant future. The market has been uh, softened up to this, but uh, <laughs> but Ben has been uh, talking once again at the FOMC meeting about the end of QE3 and the big stimulus package. It shouldn't have come as a big surprise to the US market, but uh, it still dropped uh, 200 points on the back of it, but it's looking to be wound back in 2014 um, when Ben will no longer probably be in the job, so it'll be somebody else's problem. $85 billion a month, that's a lot of money, and it hasn't been going as far as I can see to the people in the street. It goes to the big investment banks and the stock markets. It doesn't seem to be getting down. It doesn't. I mean, there is the theory is that there's a trickle-down effect that uh, you keep throwing money at the uh, the market that ultimately it, triples down, it trickles down from uh, Wall Street to Main Street. <laughs> the problem is that it does take some time, and a lot of that money gets stuck in Wall Street before it gets to Main Street. So despite the fact that uh, he's chucked $85 billion a month for the last couple of years, um, with interest rates very low, we've still got unemployment in the U.S. struggling uh, to uh, to get any sort of traction, and it's still 7.5%. The RBA released its minutes, indicates that there may be another cut down the track, maybe. Maybe. Um, I'm not of the opinion they will. They've, uh, they've managed to successfully uh, completely kill the Australian dollar, which is kind of what they were hoping to achieve, I guess. We've long been complaining that the high Aussie dollar has been killing uh, our local market, and the RBA has tried jawboning, they tried cutting rates, um, and finally the Aussie dollar has cracked. It did hit 92 cents last night with the strength of the US dollar uh, really powering through and, and creating some havoc with our local currency. So I suspect the RBA will uh, will wait a little while to see uh, see how things pan out. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. The chicken little, I think, uh, was a bit of a fallacy. But when you think about it, our planet will need miners are still exploring, research still goes on, retailers still selling and buying, supermarkets will operate, oil will be still pumped. Health will still need uh, operation, so the market will still survive. Well, it will, but um, our planet, when it sort of gets to that stage, uh, will have to outsource all those things to a different planet. Um, yes. uh, as, uh, as we've seen with uh, Australia outsourcing its jobs to uh, India, the Philippines and various other places, Earth will ultimately have to outsource all these jobs to, uh, to somewhere else like the Moon or Mars, perhaps. Any other planet? Um, no, I'm not going to say the one that comes to mind. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) The the well-known rural business of elders is involved in some sell-off. Now, once upon a time working in the country, elders was one of the pinnacle companies up there, but it seems to be struggling lately. It seems to be struggling big time. I mean, they're they're, they're really suffering. The stock's down at... uh, Sort of nearly under, well, it's under eight cents today. Um, they've put a couple of their businesses up for sale, one of which is 
Futurus, which is uh, the car automotive uh, spare parts business, um, and they seem to be knocking back the people that are uh, looking at buying these businesses as they're not offering enough money. So at the moment, the stock is very much under the hammer, um, and they are very much struggling. I'm afraid in the in the rural sector, you would think uh, you would think they'd be doing okay, but uh, apparently not. Interesting. You know, many well, not many moons ago, but some time ago, there was talk that oil stocks. They're challenged at the moment, but there was a time when people were talking about oil, the peak oil, and oil was going to run out and so forth. But that doesn't seem to be happening now. Peak oil. Well, unfortunately, or, or rather fortunately, uh, the US has, uh, has got themselves addicted to shale gas, which is, uh, which is helping their economy dramatically. Um, and they seem to have uh, put aside their concerns for the environment. It has been a major boom for the uh, for the US oil business as technology has sort of um, kind of made it so much easier to get uh, some of this trapped gas and trapped oil assets underground to the surface so the peak oil argument I guess is being pushed out as technology takes over to find uh, more oil or extract the oil that was previously there that they didn't think they could get out interesting chief economist I'm oh, sorry chiefs of companies are on knives edges if they have to report a downturn in their company activity a savage response from the shareholders. Interesting. The mar- yes, the market takes no prisoners. I mean, even if you uh, only sort of uh, hint that there may be a problem, you get savage. Lend-lease was one uh, that got pretty much uh, mauled the other day, despite um, suggesting that what they actually said wasn't a profit downgrade. Um, but the market took it as such and promptly whacked the shares about 10%, 11 They were trading at around 11 bucks, they're now 840 um, So it's certainly that there is um, some easy pickings for the guys that short markets. You've only got to come out with uh, with a vagueness about a profit downgrade, um, and it is the season to be confessing at the moment. So um, there are a lot of companies in the spotlights, a lot of CEOs worried about their jobs and having to fess up and, and copying it uh, not so sweet. Mm, comments from John, John Singleton I read or heard the other day to Nathan Tinkler, like uh, something like, slow down, mate, don't go too fast, you don't have to do it all at once, probably in hindsight were very good. I'd say John was a particularly... Uh, particularly wise man to give uh, Nathan those uh, those words of wisdom and advice. Unfortunately, it does appear that uh, Big Nate um, hasn't really um, listened too well as uh, news appeared yesterday that uh, he looks to be getting out of his Whitehaven stake, which was the, the basis of his, uh, his billion fortune. Mm. Um, and it looks like it's been seized by the, uh, the U.S. hedge funds that he's borrowed the money from uh, to fund his uh, empire. So not particularly good news for Nathan. Um, and uh, I guess it's good news for the Whitehaven shareholders because at least it removes one uncertainty and the overhang of those shares on the market. BHP in Rio, and I'm talking about the Rio, not uh, the Socceroos heading to Rio, but the Rio, the miner, is still on, or both BHP and Rio are still on the path of staff reductions. They are, although the Socceroos did well, didn't they? They did. Um, but uh, going back to BS, BHP and Rio's are, are very much uh, cutting back on expenses. I think you know all the miners got very complacent in the last few years. I mean, they probably read the press and believed it, um, that the mining boom was going to last forever. It was going to be stronger for longer. Um, there was no end in sight. And as a result, costs blew out. And what we're seeing now is a massive uh, scale back on those, uh, those expenses, both in salary, Headcount, 
um, exploration um, and development costs. And uh, yeah, Rio's have just uh, laid off a load of people in their iron ore division. BHP similarly uh, in their coal business as well, both uh, here and overseas. So definitely, uh, if, if you work for one of those two outfits, beware of the uh, pat on the shoulder for the those wonderful words, have you got a minute? And we'll be back in a moment to go overseas and see what's happening offshore. This is Finance at 26 to 1. And Barry Preston, this is our market snapshot with Henry Jennings. It certainly is, and we're heading offshore. The global financial the global financial crisis caused lots of challenges, and one of the things that seems to be coming through is civil unrest in a number of countries, especially in the European area. Yes, we're certainly seeing that. We saw it in some Scandinavian countries. We're still seeing general strikes in Greece. We're seeing problems in Spain. Also, we're now starting to see some issues um, start to appear in Brazil, which has had a bit of a uh, interesting time recently with their currency collapsing. And we've seen mass protests in the streets of São Paulo. Um, 200,000 people taking the streets to uh, to complain about rising transport costs and also the cost of the up-and-coming Olympics. So uh, the world is certainly uh, quite an agitated place at the moment. And, of course, we've had Turkey and uh, we've got the ongoing problems in Syria. We often hear about Asian markets, the Asian markets. What are the Asian markets? Well, I guess the Asian markets are uh, primarily Japan, uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai. Um, I guess there's also the uh, smattering, I I suppose, of uh, Korea. But China, um, Japan and Hong Kong are the ones that people really look at, although China is is not the most developed market. So sometimes, although it's it's widely watched, it's not widely believed, if you know what I mean, Um, whereas the Japanese market is the sort of the more established uh, market with more transparency and easier rules for uh, Western world to understand. I wonder what it's in it for Australia is uh, uh, when the USA and the European Union set to launch a free market trade deal. I wonder what that uh, effect will have on Australia. I don't know. Will it have that much effect at all? I don't know if it will have that much effect on the uh, the US, really. Most Mostly the trade deals are very much a one-sided affair where the uh, the US basically has massive access to uh, to the markets they've got free trade with and it doesn't really flow the other way with the Europeans or the Australians having access to the American markets in the same way. So, you know, the US tends to win out on these uh, these matters as they have done with the Australian free trade and I suspect with the European as well. I believe the USA had a drop in food prices the first time in four years. Does that mean that KFC and Maccas are now cheaper? I think so, yes. I think they've all got cheaper, but uh, you know, I think that's not just a, a drop in the food prices. It's also a function of seven and a half percent unemployment, and also a function of you know the, the economy over there is hardly uh, you know it, it's sort of puttering along rather than screaming along. So um, there is a lot of price competition out there between these sorts of outlets, but it is a good sign that uh, food generally in the U.S. is getting cheaper. Japan, look. Uh, they've turned on their printing presses and they're talking in trillions of dollars, of course. But does anyone know what's happening over there? Their market goes up, their market goes down. I wonder, is the person in the street being able to buy more nappies? Because I believe the older person in Japan, the the sales of nappies is more for the adult than what it is for the younger ones. Yes, it's. I mean, Japan is a very strange uh 
country in some respects. They have very little immigration um, and they have a massively ageing population. And as you rightly say, Barry, sales of adult nappies have overtaken sales of baby nappies, which is somewhat worrying. So I, I get the feeling that no one really knows what's going on over there. The, uh, the Prime Minister Abe is trying to re-inflate the economy by pushing inflation up, interest rates up and the yen down and enabling uh, an export boom to sort of uh, bolster the country's finances. The problem he has is it's kind of a nasty tightrope. If you start pushing interest rates up, um, that does kind of um, hit the local economy as well. So um, it's a bit of a balancing act. He is, uh, he is trying and he's got the three-arrow policy. Um, I'm not sure if all the arrows in his quiver are going to hit their targets. And when will we have to get out of bed to see you on Sky News? I think I'm doing 6.30 on Friday morning, but I wouldn't rush to get out of bed because it's, um, <laughs> it's the sleepy show. <laughs> well done. Henry, thanks very much from everyone at 2NUR FM. Pleasure, Barry. Bye. Bye. Henry Jennings and our market snapshot, and he'll be back with us next week as well on 2NUR FM for finance. Barry Preston, our special guest. Terry McCran, wonderful, one of Australia's best-known financial and political journalists with the Daily Telegraph and Sunday Telegraph Victoria and Herald Sun and Sunday Herald. Terry, interest rates. Now, the Reserve Bank held rates as they are, but there are indications that they may cut again. But why didn't they cut this time? Is it because of the drop in the dollar, building approvals, low unemployment? What, what's the reason they didn't drop this time? Good afternoon, Barry. Good afternoon to your listeners. Thank it's you. Probably a mix of all those factors. And the fact that they have cut interest rates quite substantially since they started towards the end of 2011... To understand the Reserve Bank's thinking, Barry, they basically want to maintain or promote the strongest possible growth in the economy without causing inflation to take off. And they're not really worried that the inflation risk is one that's that's prominent now, that there's no sign of wages pressure, there's no sign of of, uh, businesses putting up their prices. And in fact, the opposite's probably true for many of the businesses. They find it very hard to compete. Um, so they will, they, they're prepared to cut, but they want to see how the cuts they've delivered are playing out. And then that big factor which is coming into play is the dollar. Because if you have a fall in the dollar, that's like an interest rate cut in terms of promoting, uh, making it easier for businesses to compete and, and promoting activity. Interesting, isn't it? You know, but the big four banks have remained solid, no cuts to their rates, with still high credit card rates. I thought we we may have seen the big banks jump on board and say, look, we're going to take 0.1% or 0.15% off our, all our rates, but not yet. No, well, they, they did deliver the previous cut in full, and the ANZ Bank took out a little bit more than the previous cut. That was in, uh, in May. And... Um, the credit card rates are some, uh, rather more complicated because the banks don't really like to cut their credit card rates. They like to play games with the way they sell credit cards and attract you with you know those deals where you can move your balances across <laughs> and get very low interest rates for six months, that sort of thing. Uh, so credit cards are you know are, are a sore point in all this, um, but it's probably it's a left field thought barrier. It probably works to the advantage of consumers because it should encourage them to stop using credit cards or to use them in ways that minimise what they pay in interest. And the more banks make them unattractive, maybe that will happen because they really are very painful for borrowers and particularly low-income earners because whether or not you get a small cut in interest rates, you're going to be paying very high rates anyway. If our policy, if our policy makers have, uh, have uh, really uh, got anything 
you know, uh, what I can't find a word at the moment, but they must be concerned with the low rates. Usually there's an incentive for borrowers to do new lending, uh, buy more things, uh, build more. Of course, that's purely from the borrowing side. But on the other side, the self-funded retirees are hurting because the income is being cut, which may in then may in turn push up the demand for pensions. Well, exactly, Barry. It's a, it's a very it's a very important point which tends to get lost in this. There are depositors. There are two 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 sorts of people out there: those that borrow and those that save. And we should want to be encouraging people to save, and in particular, self-funded superannuation. Uh, retirees need those higher interest rates to maintain their lifestyles and their spending. Uh, So there is a bit of a distorted focus, I think, just on the borrowing side, and we're always thinking of low interest rates as a good thing, or or the media and the politicians sort of combine to project the fact that the lower the rates go, um, the better it is. Well, it's two sides to the coin. And I, I really think that uh, borrowers, the savers have had, you know, had it pretty good in the, in the past few years and now they are paying the penalty. Mm, I think it's very important and, and very, very important that home borrowers would need to be very, very cautious committing themselves heavily in low interest rates now because interest rates do rise. Absolutely, Barry. And I mean, it's always the case that if you're going out there to, to initiate a new loan to buy a house, you should always factor in the ability to, to increase your payments if interest rates go up, even when interest rates are at more normal, at, at higher levels. And it goes double now because they're not going to stay at these low rates permanently. And you've got to be able to afford to cop those increased payments when they go up. So it's very, very important. You should, shouldn't just borrow to the max, so to speak, and uh, think that you can keep these low rates forever. Here's some loaded questions. The biggest effect on our economy, is it the strong or weakening Australian dollar, low interest rates, our wage structure or lack of confidence in administration? Well, I'd add a couple of other factors, Barry. I mean, all of those things are important. But I think, you know, much more, much more important is sort of the dead weight of government. I guess that's the fourth factor you mentioned, that the dead weight of regulation and all these feel-good, do-good policies that are imposed on business and make it very hard for people to start businesses and to and to succeed in running those businesses. And if you can't start businesses and run businesses successfully, you're not going to create jobs, you're not going to create wealth. Um, the strong dollar has obviously been very damaging to manufacturers and local tourism industry and the fact that it's now fallen back to a more reasonable level and it took another big fall this morning, uh, is, a, is obviously a plus. The minus of that, of course, is that things that we import will start to get more expensive, and that will hurt consumers, uh, like low, you know, those, the very cheap televisions and, and cars and everything else, and most importantly, petrol. We're going to start to feel the pain with petrol. Um, interest rates, I think, are important, but, but probably not, you know, that's not going to save us having lower interest rates by itself. Wage, again, with wages, it's not so much the level of wages, Barry, but the inefficiencies and restrictions on being able to use workers most effectively and, and get, get greater productivity. I, I think the average employer would be quite happy to pay their workers high wages if they could get good working output out from, from those workers. And it's, it's not so much that workers are lazy, but that... Uh, and that's exactly not the case. It's just that they are prevented from working effectively by all these 
uh, restrictions on the way people can work. Well, that'd be, of course, in flexible hours. And when we look at Ford and Hull and they're having challenges. Absolutely, Barry. I mean, it's not just in flexible hours, but, but in flexible working conditions generally. And we had this case a few last year where, uh, because of the rules, you couldn't employ school kids to work for two hours after, after work in you know, the local stores in, in, in country towns and indeed in the city. You had to work, employ them for a minimum, of, I think, but was four hours, mm. which meant that you wouldn't employ them at all because you couldn't um, justify putting them on for four hours. It's those sorts of things which are hurtful to business, but also obviously hurtful to people looking for work. It's finance at the moment on 2NURFM, and it is nine minutes to one. And Barry Preston, we have our very special guest, Terry McCran. We us. certainly do too. Challenging things that I've been hearing from my clients and also myself. Well, I've not understood it myself. In respect to Australian Bureau of Statistics figures that we've been creating a large number of jobs, I think in, was it March or April or something, 50,000. Yet all I can see in the paper and what they've said is that people are being laid off. Also, our consumer price index is benign, very low, yet prices seem to be rising. Something's wrong somewhere. Yes, Barry, there are statistics, more statistics and the lies, I think, as somebody once said. Um, I think all those statistics have to be treated with some caution. But the bottom line is that, yes, we are always creating new jobs and we are also always seeing jobs being destroyed. I guess when we see those uh, big job cuts, they, are, they get a high-profile projection and obviously they are very damaging and hurtful to the people that lose their jobs. But there, is, there are jobs being created out there. I, my concern, I'm sure you share it, is what sort of jobs are being created out there. Uh, we see an increasing tendency to part-time jobs, not so much because people want to work part-time, but because employers don't want to commit to full-time employment. And increasingly, they are in low, lower-wage service sector-type jobs. Um, so there is a concern about type of jobs. And on the inflation front, uh, you get the same sort of thing that, uh, as I said before, we see a fo- we've seen big falls in things like uh, flat screen TVs and so on. But the prices of uh, things that people use more regularly, you only buy one flat screen TV every now and then, health services, education, all those sorts of things have been rising at a faster pace. Now, when you put the two together, you might say, oh, well, inflation's low. <laughs> uh, but it's the things that are going up much more, which I, I think are really damaging to to most people. Terry, the budget. We didn't talk much about the budget because there's always the devil in the detail. Of the budget, did you fi- or in the budget, did you find anything that is really a standout and really helps the person in the street? Uh, well, I, I certainly didn't see anything in the budget that helps people in the, in the street. I think uh, I've gone in two minds about it, Barry, that on the one hand, uh, Wayne Swan kept promising a surplus, and as we know, we've got a big deficit. Um, I think that the deficit is not something that we should really be worried about. It's not a big, massive deficit that's going to send the country broke. It's more the concern I have that it's indicative of a trend, that we sort of locked in the spending and we don't have the revenue to fund that spending. And I don't want to see us solve that problem by dramatically increasing increasing taxes. Uh, It's bad for people and it's bad for the economy. So my concern is about the trend rather than the actual numbers. Interesting. With America and Japan pumping billions of dollars in America, looks like they may tighten up, but Japan's pumping billions, of, well, billions upon billions of dollars, but nothing seems to be happening. Is it 
slow, a sort of a snaking effect? Will it happen down the road or uh, or what? Well, I think the best, most optimistic part of the world is the US. I think what's happening in the US is that that activity, all that money that's been printed, and also the way the US economy works, ultimately, it's still the most dynamic economy in the world. That's starting, I think, to pay off. And we saw overnight, and this has caused its own tremors, uh, the, their Federal Reserve chief saying that things are picking up and at some point he'll start withdrawing that stimulus, which obviously investors didn't like because it meant that uh, the sort of money that's fueled, fueled the share market will, will start to go away. Mm. But that's, that's encouraging, I think, for the world overall. But the big one for us, obviously, uh, Barry, as we, we keep coming back to, is China. Mm. And that remains an enigma. We really don't know, I think, ultimately... <laughs> how China's going to play out, and I mean that in, in all the complexities it's, that, that it's there, the social complexities, the political complexities, and the economic. Mm. By and large, it looks like it will, it's slowing, and, but it's not slowing too much. So mm. by and large, China should still continue to be good for Australia, but maybe not just quite as good as it has been in the last few years. As long as it remains good. Terry, on behalf of everyone at 2NURFM 103.7, thank you very much. Keep safe. See you Great soon. talking to you, Barry. Bye. Terry McCran, and you heard him on finance on 2NURFM. We we're getting very close, Barry, to the end of our program. I'll just check the weather for our sponsor, inkjetwholesale.com.au, where you pay less and print more. Dangerous surf we've got, chance of showers, and at the moment 15 degrees at Floraville. And a final word from finance? Whatever you do, please, please, please remember that superannuation, you're running out of time. You should have had all your contributions in by now. I would suggest if you've left it, Till next Thursday, it may be too late because uh, the end of the month is the end of the time you can put your superannuation in. Please ensure you don't put too much in. Talk to your advisor. And in the meantime, keep safe. Hope to see you next week. And finance returns next Thursday after the midday news.